praise God. Well, this morning I want to minister to you on, the, we're going to start a series on the, the book of Peter, uh, 1 Peter. So uh, it's five chapters. I'm going to try to do a, a chapter a week. And uh, so over the next few weeks, we're going to go through the book of 1 Peter, depending on how I split that up. Um, and then in this first chapter, uh, in 1 Peter chapter 1, I've entitled it A Living Hope. And this is, a, this is actually the, the chapter that has in 1 Peter uh, chapter or Chapter 1, verse 3, is the scripture that, that we get our name, Living Hope Family Church, from. We are born again to a living hope. But this first chapter deals with our, our salvation and the living hope that we have, that our hope is actually invested in, in God and not in stuff of this world. You know, he talks about, uh, he speaks about being born again, and Peter began to speak about the inheritance that we have in, in Christ Jesus. He also talks of, of persecution that the early church was dealing with, the various trials, and how to remain holy and, and remaining holy in that time. And the thing about Peter is, is the, the two primary writers of the New Testament is Peter and, and Paul. Peter was primarily ministering to the Jews, and Paul was primarily ministering to the Gentiles. And matter of fact, earlier in, early in their ministry, they began preaching in parallel they had never met before. And when they finally got together, they went, hey, we're, we're teaching the same thing. It must be God. You know, there was that, that uh, Holy Spirit was teaching the same things through both of them, just two different people groups. Now, this... Uh, and we notice that their, their themes were in alignment. We can look at all of Paul's preaching and, and compare it to Peter's preaching, and you'll see the same themes, the same message being preached. Because, I mean, God's not a God of confusion or chaos, and, and uh, the Word of God is always true. It's not true for some people and not others. And when some people preach it, it's not this different than when somebody else said, The Word of God is the Word of God. And this one was written when the early church was beginning to, uh, to start to feel some serious persecution. They were, they were being scattered about. This is actually, uh, we'll see in the first verse, written to, I think, like five different provinces in uh, the Roman Empire. And, uh, you know, at the, in the beginning, in the Roman Empire, the church was kind of thought of as a, uh, a sect of Judaism. They were a part of Judaism. And as Judaism was already loud in the Roman Empire, they let Christianity kind of slip in under that heading and they weren't bothered at first but eventually Christianity began to grow and the Roman Empire began to have to say you know what this is something different we're going to have to deal with this and you saw you know Paul went to to stand in front of Caesar for 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 Christianity for his faith and uh and this was where this is beginning to happen this persecution is coming from everywhere against the Christian church and the thing is, these Christians weren't playing it safe. They were sold out for the gospel. They weren't, uh, they weren't just running away. They were scattered for their life, but they continued to preach the gospel. As we read in the book of Acts, they were scattered from, from Jerusalem, but they began to preach everywhere else. They didn't stop preaching. They just, tried to, they just made sure they were staying long, alive long enough to do so. But they were sold out. They were given it all. You know, and... and uh, Helen Keller said, said this. She said it was remarkable that Helen Keller once said that life is either a daring experience or nothing. Being blind, deaf, and dumb, she knew better than anyone the special challenges people face every day. Those who take on the world without experiencing God's grace and peace are doomed to failure to a life that amounts to nothing. You know, these, these, uh, these early Christians were experienced that grace. They weren't living a life that amounted to nothing. You know, they weren't going to stand in, Jesus, in front of Jesus one day and he was going to say, well, what did you do? You know, they, they, had a, they had a testimony to give Jesus. This is what I did. I was preaching the gospel. And uh, I was reading a story. It says, a Georgia farmer was ragged and barefooted. He was standing on the steps of his tumbleweed shack, and a stranger stopped for a drink of water and says, how is the cotton coming along? And he, the farmer replied, I ain't got none. Well, didn't you plant any? asked the stranger. 
Nope, was the reply, afraid of boll weevils. Well, continued the stranger, well, how's your corn? I didn't plant none, came the answer, afraid there, were gonna, there weren't going to be no rain. And the visitor persevered and says, well, how about your potatoes? Ain't got none, I'm scared of potato bugs. Well, really, what did you plant? When the stranger pressed, and the, the farmer said, nothing, I was just playing it safe. You know, the, these Christians weren't living a life of fear. They weren't playing it safe. They were going to, to spread the love of the gospel no matter what was going on. This persecution that they were facing, they were still going to tell the world about Jesus. And I pray that we would do the same thing, especially, truthfully, we got it easy here in America. The, the most we're going to get is someone teasing us a little bit. I mean, people, even today in other countries, are dying for their faith. But they consider the harvest worthwhile. Amen. So let's go ahead and look at our first scripture in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Brythania, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. These areas are provinces in, in Rome. This is actually one of the letters that probably just wasn't written to the, to the Jews from Peter, but this was, that was also written to the Gentiles, basically the early church. It was a mixture of both. It says, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood, may grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. You know, it says he's speaking to those who reside as aliens. And, you know, in our first instinct as we look at this is, as you know, especially in America as we, as we deal with the word illegal aliens, as, as people that, that are just from another country. And that's my first thought when I read this is to those who reside as aliens. Well, they were scattered from their hometown. That's why they're aliens. But the truth is that's not what Peter's talking about. He's talking about Christians. How many know that you guys are all aliens in this world? Because we are not of this world. In John fifteen eighteen through 19, it says, If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. You know, if, if the world hates you for being a Christian, it's, you're not unique. I mean, they started by hating Jesus. It says, If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. We are not of this world. We are separated. We are members of the kingdom of heaven, not members of the kingdom of earth. Amen. You know, and then it says that, the next thing it says, according to the foreknowledge of God, it says, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. I know, to know that God picked me is amazing. I mean, if you really sit down and think about that, who God is and what he did, he, he's the creator of the heavens and the earth. He made everything. I mean, what he's dealing with is so fantastically huge that we can't fathom it, but he still cares about you and me. You know, uh, David says, who am I that, that you are mindful of me? Who is man that you are mindful of me? And uh, I, I find that amazing. I mean, I remember going in, in middle school, I couldn't even get picked on the kickball team. But God, who's so much greater than those kids that were mean to me in, in, in uh, grade school, he picked me. And he picked each and every one of you in this room. That's amazing. If you just grab a hold of that, and, and I mean, that will just fill your life with joy. And then it says that the, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit. How many of you know that when you're saved, instantly you are sanctified in Christ? 
You know, the Bible talks of, of kind of two different types of sanctification. There's the, when your spirit is sanctified, you're given a brand new spirit inside of you. At the moment that you accept Jesus in your life, a miracle happens and you are made brand new. You are made perfect and pure and holy in him. But then there's also a sanctifying work of the Spirit as we live our life. As, as I like to think of it as our, as our body catches up to who we really are on the inside. You know, we have to, to live out who we are. You know, when we, we grow in to who we are physically as who we already are, are, are uh, spiritually, you know, you, you, you do what you are. And that's why the people of this world keep doing stupid things because they're broken on the inside and that's who they are. But as Christians, we've been made brand new and as we live our lives, we do stuff, we do who we are. We begin to, to live our lives in a way that begins to show fruit of who we are. We begin to live our lives in a way that's honoring to Jesus, not because we have a checklist and we say, well, these are the things I have to do today to be a Christian, but because that's who we are on the inside. We were changed and made brand new. And then we go on to see that he says that, that we are sprinkled with his blood. Such a weird phrase, sprinkled with his blood. So I've been going to do some research into it. And uh, this was actually a reference to the, to the atonement that happened in the Old Testament. In Exodus 24, 8, it says, So Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. You know, the, the truth is, this, this talking about being sprinkled with his blood, the blood of Jesus, obviously is not, is not someone throwing blood on you. But it has to do with representing the covenant that God has made with us in Jesus. It's, the, it's the, the signature, if you will, that sealed the deal, just like in the Old Testament when, when God made a covenant with Israel, they sprinkled the blood on, on all the people to, to set that in stone. You know, blood is what made those, like the signature. And that's what he's talking about here. And then it says, may grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. You know, I thank God that even the leaders of the early church were praying that way. You know, and that's the way that I pray for you guys. I want grace and peace to be yours in the fullest measure. And I pray, and I hope that you pray the same way for me. But I thank God that, that they wouldn't pray that if it wasn't possible. I mean, the, the, early church, they're not, the early church leaders aren't praying stuff that's not possible. They're praying stuff that, that is rightfully yours in Jesus. Amen. And here comes that first Peter chapter three, the, the scripture that we get our name from. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You know, to be born again is to be made brand new. How many know that when you have a brand new baby, it has no past? It's done nothing wrong. It has, it is, it is brand new. It's a brand new creature with, with, that was formed on the inside of, of the mother with nothing but, but newness. I mean, it's, there's, I mean, we never look at a, at a baby and go, I can't believe what you did 10 years ago. I mean, it just doesn't happen. And, and we, may, we may do that when they're 15, but <laughs> when they're born... They're brand new, no past, they're just brand new. And uh, we're the same way. When we're born again, we are made brand new. You know, we are made, we're restored to the same state as Adam. You know, when Adam was in the Garden of Eden, he's the only, he's the only human being that wasn't born. He was created as, a, as, a, as an adult man, 
but he had the life of a newborn baby. He had no past. He had nothing holding him down. He had nothing, you know, the, nothing in his life that, that caused him to regret or sorrow or pain, nothing dragging him down. You know, and we, we've gone through life. Some of us have gone through some tough stuff, and we've got stuff pulling us down. But I thank God that when we were born again, we were made brand new, and that stuff that's behind us doesn't have a hold on us anymore. We are freed from that in Jesus Christ. And then we're talking about this living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You know, the significance of that resurrection, I don't think that a lot of Christians understand what that meant. We all get that Jesus died for our sins. We get that, you know, the price had to be paid. So what is the resurrection all about? How many know that if Jesus never came back, if he wasn't resurrected, the price wouldn't have been paid? Because it would still be being paid. Something with the reason that Jesus rose from the dead is because God was satisfied. That's the reason why he, he rose and he says he sat at the right hand of God. You know why he sat down? Because he was done working. I mean, when you look at when you send your kids to go do some chores, if they come in and sit down before they're done, you're like, get back in there and get, get to work. But when you let them sit down, it's because they're done, right? And the same thing here Jesus was done, he paid the price, the penalty. The death that we should have died, the, the pain that we should have suffered, he paid for. And he sat down at the right hand of, John, at the right hand of God said, it is finished because he was done. That resurrection proved that God was satisfied. So why is that significant? Well, that's significant because if we know that God was satisfied, that we can go boldly to his throne with confidence, knowing that, that uh, he holds nothing against us, that our sins are as far as from the east to the west. We can go to him with confidence knowing that the price was paid. You know, how many of you ever been uh, driving next to a cop and you see him and you have that like in your heart for that brief second, like, was I speeding? Did I do something? Or <laughs> how many of you have walked out of a store and just waiting for that beeping thing to go off? And you know, you didn't steal anything, but it goes off and you're like, oh, great. You're just waiting. You know, you have that. Well, you, that's, that's not leaving with confidence when you have that kind of stuff, right? But you can go in front of God without any feeling like that at all. You can go in front of God with 100% confidence that, that you are in right standing with Him and that you can look at His face and you can talk to Him and you can speak to Him without any fear of retribution, any fear of punishment, any fear of anything. And that is amazing to me. But that's not all. As we go on, it says that we're to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away and is reserved in heaven for you. That's good news right there, that you have an inheritance reserved to you. The word inheritance here is the same one that's used when it's talking about the inheritance of Israel, the promised land. That same word that's used. But as we look through history, we see that, that Israel screwed up. They finally inherited the promised land. But if you look at it today, Israel is much smaller than it used to be. There's not, they've lost a lot. Matter of fact, I think it was dissolved for a while and then they reinstated it. But it, uh, the truth is that that it faded away. It, it was promised by God, but the enemy began to come in and steal and pull from that. And I thank God that the inheritance that we have is imperishable. And truthfully, even the, the promised land, when Jesus comes back, that's all going to be done away with. It's going to perish. It's going to be done with. But our inheritance is permanent. It's unfadable. It's not going away. It's undefiled. And we have it forever. You know what? When, when, we, when we pass away and we, and we go to be with Jesus, that inheritance is ours. Eternal life perfection, um, 100% healing. We're going to be in heaven. There's no pain, no suffering, no sorrow. And, and I thank God for heaven one day.
Now that being said, I want you to know that you can have a little bit of heaven on earth today as you claim these promises for God. You can have healing today. You can have all that stuff. But there's going to come a time when, when, when we get that inheritance is reserved for us. As long as that we have the faith for salvation. As long as we hold on to that, continue in the faith, as we hold on to trusting God, that is ours. The only thing that can take that inheritance away from us is if we turn our back on God and say, no, God, you keep it. I don't want it anymore. But if you'll continue to trust God and continue to believe him, then that is yours. Nothing. You know, the devil can't take that away from you. No matter how bad life gets, no matter what you're going through, you lose losing jobs, people are sick, the car blows up, the house burns down, no matter what happens, the devil can't take that from you. Amen. So this inheritance, we'll take a uh, little bit closer to look at it in Ephesians 1, 18 through 23. And Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. You know, I pray that for myself. That's something you should pray for yourself too. I hope that the eyes of my heart would be enlightened. So, so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe. These are in accordance with the work of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet, and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. You know, if we could have our eyes opened, you know, and, and be enlightened to what Christ actually accomplished on the cross. I mean, have a real revelation of what he actually did and what's done in our lives. Then it would completely change your life. It would completely change everything in your life. You know, there's, there's times as, as we begin to have that revealed to us more and more. And I thank God that we grow in it every single day. But sickness would be a thing of, past, of the past in your life. Disease, hardship, all that stuff. It would be so temporary because we'd, we'd understand what was done in Christ. The, the perfect uh, success in what Jesus did. You know, and, and the truth is that Paul was praying this because he was concerned for the Christians of that day. He wanted them to take hold of the spiritual resources that were available to them today. The power of Christ is available to us today. If we would just take hold of it and grab it, healing is available to us today. Prosperity is available to us today. Uh, restored relationships is available to us today in Jesus Christ. You know, and the truth is, is the power of God has more for us than just the resurrection, more for us than, just, than salvation. Not only did this power raise Jesus from the dead, but as we read here, it sat in his right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. This power that we have available in Jesus made him the supreme authority over the entire universe. There is nothing above Jesus. There is nothing higher than Jesus. I mean, when you go into to, uh, to work and you have your supervisor and, and he tells you to do something or he gives you some, something, but his boss says, no, 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 that can't be. Guess what? The boss overrules the supervisor and you've just lost whatever that was. But there's no one over Jesus. When Jesus says something, when he says that by your stripe, by my stripes you were healed, there's nobody that says, nah, sorry, that's not going to work today. He has the supreme authority. He has the final say. And I, uh, why? I mean, how many of you guys are glad that Jesus is on your side? I mean, that, I mean, having Jesus in your corner is, is, is being unstoppable. 
You know, currently in the United States, we're, we're still the greatest military superpower in the world. I think we're trying our best to lose that, but if we could just hold on to that, <laughs> there's not much that scares us. There's not, there's not much that threatens the United States. And, uh, but the truth is that that power is not unfallible. You know, as, as things change, that, that might change. But, you know, the, the power that the United States has beside of it is nothing compared to the power that Jesus yields and wields in our lives. There is nothing, there's no possibility of failure in the, in the, uh, in the power that Jesus provides for us if we will just trust in it and believe it and, and put our whole faith in it. And then it starts talking about hope. You know, hope in the scripture is... Uh, it's not like hope on, that we deal with. I mean, it's not like, you know, I, I hope that it doesn't rain. You know, I, I hope that we have a good time. How many of you know that in that kind of hope, there's no certainty in that kind of hope? That's just a, it's more like a wish. We Probably how we should say it. I wish that it wouldn't rain. I wish that we'd have a good time. I wish that the preaching wouldn't go on too long. But it's not a certainty. But hope in the, in the, in the Bible is, is complete, um, complete faith in the, the victory of Jesus Christ. It's a sure thing. When we talk about this, this living hope, what is the hope of his calling, it's a sure thing. Amen? And finally, in this inheritance, we see that, that uh, he is the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. We are the body of Christ. We are the hands and feet of Christ. Now, how many of you have ever had your hand go off and do whatever it wants to do? I mean... I mean, how awkward would that be if I'm up here preaching and my hand drags me around and I'm on my foot just come, come back, you know? That'd be ridiculous. It's, and that's, you know, I think that's the way Christians operate in the body of Christ sometimes. I mean, you guys ever seen the, the, uh, the, the comedians do the sketches like that when they have a punching themselves in the face as their hand is holding it back? But that would be ridiculous if the body acted like that. Can you imagine that? But how many of that's how the church acts sometimes? We're the hands and feet of Christ, but sometimes we do whatever we want. We don't, we don't listen to what Jesus wants us to do. But I thank God that happens in other churches and not here. We're going to be obedient to Christ. We're going to be obedient to what he has in our lives. Amen? Amen. So in 1 Peter 1, 6-9, it says, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may, not be, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. You know, this, uh, the idea of taking stock of your situation. He says here, and in this you greatly rejoice, not in the trials, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials. What do they rejoice in? He rejoices in the salvation ready to be revealed to us in the last time. You know, that's what we rejoice in, what God has for us, our inheritance. says, in our inheritance, we greatly rejoice, even though not for a little while necessary, we have been distressed by various trials. There's a certain organization offered a bounty of $5,000 for wolves captured alive. 
And it says, uh, it turned Sam and Jed into fortune hunters. And day and night, Sam and Jed would go out searching the mountains and the hills for these wolves. And they hadn't caught a single one because they had this, this hope they were going to make some money by capturing these wolves. And after weeks out in, the, out in the woods, they haven't caught a single one. So they lay down exhausted. They're sleeping. And then all of a sudden, Sam wakes up in the middle of the night. And he looks out and he sees they're surrounded by wolves and their gnarling teeth and their eyes look like they burn like fires. They're getting ready to come in and pounce on him. And he, he taps on Jed's shoulders and says, hey, Jed, wake up. We're rich. You know, it's, it's all about how you look at things. I mean, is that when we're going through trials, do we, do we understand that we are rich in Jesus Christ regardless of the trials? Or do we focus on the trial? You know, it would have been easy for Sam and Jed to just be, uh, I know probably all of us would have been, yeah, we would have wet the bed. <laughs> but, you know, in this, in this we rejoice. We rejoice in what Christ does for us, even in our trials. Not for our trials. Don't ever be confused. The Bible doesn't say, thank God for your trials. That would be ridiculous. But in our trials, we rejoice. And then we find out that our faith is even more valuable than gold. It says, the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know, the proof of your faith, that, that living and honoring God, when you, when you trust in Jesus, no matter what your trials, did you know that that says right here, the proof of your faith results in the praise and glory and honor of Jesus Christ. That's amazing to know that if you'll trust God even in your trials, that you're honoring God, that you're honoring Jesus. And then we continue to go on. It says that faith is, is the outcome of our faith is the salvation of our souls. Now, aren't you glad here it doesn't say that obtaining is the outcome of your, of your obligation, of your duty, of your works is the salvation of your souls. The, the outcome of you going to church every single Sunday and reading your Bible four times a day and, and uh, helping old ladies cross the street and saying nice things to people, as a result of all that, you get to go to heaven. That's the salvation of your souls. So the problem with, with that is we live in a world where people think that, that good people, God's going to save me because I'm basically a good person. Anybody ever said, heard that? I'm basically a good person. The problem with that thinking is that what we consider good, what the world considers good, not exactly the same thing that God considers good. That's the problem with that. We're working on different terms, different definitions. See, there are going to be people who make it into heaven that have done incredibly terrible things because they trusted God and they had a change happen inside of them. And there's going to be people that go to hell even though they've done incredible things in this world. They've done, I mean, they've given to charity. They've helped people in other countries. But if they don't accept Jesus into their lives, if they don't accept that saving grace, they're going to hell. And it has nothing to do with, with what they did or didn't do. It has to do with the outcome of their faith. I was reading on uh, Pinterest. Uh, my wife does Pinterest, so she got me kind of hooked on it. Not the way she uses it. She looks at all these recipes and stuff. I just go to the humor section. There's always funny stuff in there. But this pin comes up, and they thought they were being funny. I think they were trying to throw a little pot shot. And it says, uh, it says you know, that all the promiscuous girls in high school, all the girls that, that were fooling around in high school, I see them on Facebook today. And they're, they're married, and they have kids, and they're always posting scriptures. And I think they were trying to poke fun at, like, oh, yeah, there were terrors in, in uh, high school, and now look at them now, you know, that's got to be fake. But they're trying to poke fun. 
And all I could think was, praise God. Something got a, God got a hold of them. How many know that their past, what they did in high school, doesn't matter? Because they were made brand new. You see, it's not the stuff that they did in high school that is going to keep them out of heaven. It's the faith that they have now that's going to get them in. So looking at exalting in tribulations in Romans, 8, 1 through, Romans 5, 1 through 5, it says, Therefore, having been justified by, by what? Faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. Once again, faith is, is pointed out. And we exalt in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulations. Now that's kind of an odd statement. How many of you have been like, this is awesome. My, my car broke down. <laughs> Yay. It says we exalt in our tribulations. Well, the problem is, is when we read this, it says, we read it as we exalt for our tribulations. But that's not what it says. In our tribulations, in spite of the circumstances, we still exalt God. Knowing that tribulations bring about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, proven character, hope, and hope does not disappoint. That hope we were talking about in the scripture is, that, is, uh, is the assurance of the victory of Jesus Christ. And it does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. You know, there's, uh, you hear stories about refugees and, and, you know, political refugees across the world. There's millions of them across the world all the time. And I was reading a story about one and uh, this guy named Lewis, he, uh, he had to, basically, he was in a shelter with his family, his wife and kids, and they're in a shelter, and he lost his job, and he couldn't even make enough money to put them in the cheapest apartments. They were, they were in, they had nothing. All of his years spent in training in college was for nothing as, as he sat in a shelter, and he couldn't even afford to, to get him a small apartment. And uh, he sat there and wondered, and, and he's like, how did my life get this bad? And, uh, you know, it says at one time in his life he would have been considered successful by worldly standards. But through a series of unfortunate, unfortunate circumstances, he lost everything, his job, his house, his car. And it says through this experience, he learned a lot about his life and what was important. Now, eventually, God, he trusted God and God honored him. He got a good job. He could support his family. He got back into a home. And uh, he, he got everything back. God was faithful to him and, and raised him from that situation. But he, he understood that the things of this life are temporary. The trials that we go through are temporary. And even the stuff that we have that we're all so concerned about is temporary. It's fleeting. It doesn't mean anything. What, what matters is, is God and his, and his love for us. And I thank God that God wants us to prosper. God does not want you to be in a situation like that. And if you'll trust him, he will, ta- he will, he will take care of you. You will always have what you need. But, you know, the thing about this guy is he went through these trials that in his trials, he brought about perseverance. He persevered. That's the first thing you have to know when you get into a trial is you need to persevere. And then after that, as you persevere through these tough things, your character is strengthened. And your character is, is who you are, you know, when other people aren't looking. You know, your character, as you go through these, your character is strengthened so that the time the next time comes, it's in your character to continue to persevere and trust God. And it makes it easier to, to persevere. And then as you have that proven character, that's, that's what brings about that hope, that trust. As your, as your hope in God is exalted and, and grows and you know that He is the, the author of your happiness, He is the authorness of your, author of your salvation, as you continue to trust in Him, that hope grows. And as we see here, that hope doesn't disappoint. 
you know, this is uh, very similar in, in that verse in First uh, Peter a little earlier was talking about our, our faith being refined by fire. You ever heard the, the uh, expression, faith untested is faith untrusted? You know, it's easy to say you have faith when everything's going good, but it's not until stuff's getting a little bit rough when you actually have to work through that faith, walk through that faith. I better pick it up a little bit, I think. In 1 Peter 1, 10 through 11, it says, As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or the time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the suffering of Christ and the glorious to follow. You know, it's interesting that in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was speaking through all of these prophets, excuse me, testing, or speaking through all these, these prophets testifying about what we experience today. You know, the, the, it says here that the, 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 the Holy Spirit predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. You know, the, the fact that, that Christ would suffer on the cross for us and the glory that we get to partake in as a result afterwards. You know, and, and they prophesied under the power of the Holy Spirit and they kept searching the writings that they wrote trying to find out when this would happen. When was the Christ coming? Who was he going to be? You know, and we have an advantage that they didn't have. Jesus has already come. We get to see the end result. We get to see what actually happened. You know, they were, the Bible says that they were, uh, uh, Paul says that they were, they were looking at shadows. They operated in shadows. They didn't understand what was going on. It was just a shadow of what was to come and not the real deal. I mean, when you see a shadow on the ground, you can make out the basic shape, but you don't know who it is. I can tell it's a person, but I don't know who it is. You know, and, and it's the same thing that they were looking through the scriptures. They weren't quite sure what was going on, but then Jesus came, and we have a full revelation of that salvation in him as we read our Bible today. We have an advantage that they didn't have. You know, and, and the suffering the Holy Spirit spoke of happened, and as a result, we were made whole, free, redeemed, we're clean, we're pure, we're perfect, we're victorious, we're hopeful, we're full of joy, full of peace and comfort, and we can know that, that, that God loves us. Amen? And then in 1 Peter 1.12, the next verse it says, It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. In these things which now have been announced to you, though those who preach the gospel to you, by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. Like I said, the, the, it was Colossians 2.17 that says, things which are a mere shadow of what, what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. The substance of these things that they saw in shadow is Christ, and it's made real for us. And we have the, the opportunity to hear this gospel preached. We have the opportunity to have a greater revelation of who God is and what His will is for our lives because of these men of old that they were prophesied through. Matter of fact, even these men in the Old Testament, that they practiced the law, that was just a, a placeholder to get them by until Jesus came. How many know that everybody in the Old Testament was still gone to hell if Jesus wouldn't have came? Because he paid for the sins of the whole world, even the people before him, and even today, even up to today. And continuing on in the future, the sins of the entire world were paid for by Jesus, even those in the Old Testament. And I find it interesting is that the angels in heaven, it says, the things into which the angels long to look. Even the angels in heaven are looking at what God's doing for us. And they're seeing, and they're just, they're amazed at the, the adoration that God has for us and what he's done for us. That he would give his only self, even himself, to die on the cross for us. Even the angels look at this and are interested in what's going on. And they, they can't even partake in it. I mean, we should, everybody on this earth should be looking at this in awe and want a piece of it because God cared that much about us. 
And in 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16, he continues on. Peter continues on and says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be bought, brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. You know, Christians, you know, we're called to action. It says, therefore, prepare your minds for action. You know, we're not to sit around on our blessed assurance for the rest of our lives. We're supposed to be getting out there for the kingdom of God, prepared for action. And did you know that obedience is an act of your will? You have to make that choice. And then he says to, to keep sober in spirit. To be sober in spirit is to keep your focus on the word of God. To test what people say against the word of God. It's to not be carried away with foolish doctrines or weird things. You know, the truth is we have to be sober in spirit and, and test everybody's, what everybody says against the scripture. Matter of fact, even as I'm up here speaking, you should be writing scriptures down and make sure that I'm saying what I'm saying. You know, am I just making stuff up or are you testing what I say against the scripture? Because even as your pastor, if I say something that doesn't line up with the word of God, the word of God trumps what I have to say. Amen? Be sober in spirit. And then it says, continue to look towards the future. Because Jesus will be coming back someday. It says, we fix our hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know, he's going to come back. And we just need to keep our focus on him. And I thank God that if we do, we'll get to stand in front of him one day. And he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen? Then he goes on to say, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. You know, the world operating today and just doing all kinds of stupid, they're operating in ignorance. They don't realize that what they're doing is harming them. They don't realize that somebody paid the price so they could be set free from all those things. You know, they're operating in ignorance. And it says that they were, they were ours in our ignorance. But now we know. We know that we are set free. We don't have to, to be conformed to those former things. We don't have to let those things have a, a grip on our life and pull us down and push us around because we know that in Christ we are free and that he has put all those things in subjection under his feet. Amen. And then finally, I love these, these next verses of scriptures. It says, but... Like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. And what I love about this is, is you almost get this impression that it's like you need to have your laundry list of things of what you can do, what you can do. You need to behave correctly. But then he goes on to quote the Old Testament. It says, you shall be holy for I am holy. And what that is is not, not you shall be holy because I am and I said so. But you shall be holy because I am holy. We are made like him. His spirit comes living. You are holy because of what God has done inside of you, not because of what you've done. And the great thing about that is, is your behavior changes because of who you are on the inside. It's not what's done on the outside that determines who you are, but who you are on the inside determines what happens on the outside. You know, when I know in, in my personal life, and I, I know it's happened to others, I've talked to you in this room, that, that uh, you know, for me personally, when I tried to change myself, I, I, I lived a, 20 years of my Christian life um, with, with such a poor revelation of what God had done in my life that, that I thought that I had to be good. You know, I knew the rules. I've seen, you know, I know that I can't lie, steal, cheat. Was that I can't, can't, uh, can't lie, smoke, or chew, or hang around with girls that do. But, uh, you know, I couldn't do any 
so I knew what I couldn't do. And then I would screw up and I'd pray at night and thank God. You know, I'd say, Lord, please forgive me for all these things. And I'd wake up the next day and do them again. Because I was trying to change myself. But then I began to realize that, no, I am holy. Because He is holy. And because of that, my, you know, one, I remember the, my most remembered one that has happened is that I remember the most is I was sitting down to watch a TV show and it's a show that I had always watched and I turned it on and a few minutes in I'm like I have no desire I have I have no desire to watch this I can I can tell that it's wrong but I don't want to watch it because it, it meets these criteria of what's wrong but because it, in my spirit I didn't want to do this anymore because God had made me holy because he is holy not by what I did but what I did was influenced by what God had done inside of me amen and then 1 Peter 1, 17 through 19, it says, If you address as father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourself in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. question is, do you address him as father? Have you been saved and, and you've been given the right to be a child, child of God? If you do, it says you address him as father, then conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. And that fear is, is they had a different idea of fear than we do. I mean, we think of fear like, you know, cowering in the corner waiting to get smacked or beat down. But what they were saying is, is conduct yourself in a way that's honoring to God. Fear, you know, fear the Lord your God is honor your God. Be in awe of him is the, the more uh, properly term is, is in awe, not fear. And, you know, live your, live your life in awe of God and what he's done for you. You know, and it's, uh, you know, the, even, in other words, Jesus said it kind of like this, too. He's, he says, uh, if you call, why do you call me Lord if you don't do what I say? You know, basically, if, if, if this is what you believe, then live what you believe. Amen? And then we also find that our, our, we're gonna be, our work is going to be judged. Now, I thank God that when we stand in front of, of Jesus, when we pass and go to be with the Lord, we're not going to stand there in judgment of our sins. Matter of fact, Jesus paid that judgment. We are not judged. The Bible says that, uh, that those who are not in Christ have already been judged, and those who are in Christ will not be judged because Christ was already judged for, for what we've done. But we will stand in front of him, and, and basically, what have you done with what I've given you? We're going to stand in front of him to account for, for what we've done with, with uh, the love that he's shown us. Did we tell people about Jesus? Did we, did we tell anybody that God loves them? Did we, are, we, are we spending time investing in the kingdom of God? And he, he, we will give an account for that. Amen? <clears throat> and then we find out that it says that we were redeemed not with perishable things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. You know, the stuff that is considered most valuable here on earth is not even worth what was paid for us. I mean, it's a, it's a minor thing compared to what was paid for us. And if we had a revelation of the value that was paid for us, we would, we would, I don't think we would regard uh, Christ as flippantly as, as oftentimes even Christians do. We've almost become, we've heard it so much that it, we've become jaded to it. You know, we've, we've heard that we're whole in his name, that, that we we're healed or that we're forgiven, that we've kind of become jaded to it. And we, it's, it's, 
I don't know, it's kind of like when you're, when you're kids, you know, the, the first time you get your kid a gift for his birthday, they, they kind of, they dig it, this is awesome. But then over time, they kind of, they get, they get uh, immune to it. They kind of feel like it's owed to them instead of, instead of it's something that's a gift and it's special. It's no longer special, it's just what you owe me. And I think we get that with, with Jesus sometimes too. It's just this awesome gift that he gives us. But sometimes we kind of, we get jaded with it. We just, we don't appreciate it for what it really was. And I think if we would constantly keep that appreciation in mind, it's actually why we, we do communion, is so that we can remember him and what he did. Amen? And then finally it says, the precious blood is of the lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. You know, this lamb that, that, is, that Jesus is referred to is that the lamb that was given as an offering for sins. The difference is in the Old Testament that the offering was continually given. I mean, they had offerings day after day after day after day. But Jesus was offered once because, I mean, you know, the, the blood of bull and goats can't pay permanently for anything. But the blood of the lamb, of Jesus Christ, paid permanently for all of our sins. Then in 1 Peter 1, 20 through 21, it says, For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Jesus was never the second plan. I know I often looked at the Bible and I'm like, well, why did we even do the law in the first place if we're going to have Jesus? Why didn't you, I mean, if this was the, the perfect plan, why didn't God just do that in the first place? But that was in my ignorance because he was always the plan. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world. Jesus was always the plan. You know, I think uh, a lot of times God just put the law in place so that uh, we would actually accept Jesus as the plan. Because if you would have just sent Jesus in the first place, most of us would have been like, I know thanks, I can do it on my own. Shoot, the law came and Jesus came, and most people still say, no thanks, I can do this on my own. But the law proved that we couldn't live up to the standard that God had set. I mean, that is God's standards, to be perfect. And we can't do that. And basically, the law was the opportunity for us to, to see that we couldn't do that. And then Jesus came, and he did it for us. It says that uh, he appeared in these last times for the sake of you. Jesus came back. These last times refers to the last couple thousand years. He came back for our sake so that we could be made whole that we could believe in him. And we can have hope. It says that our faith and hope are in God, right here at the end, because he was raised from the dead. We can have hope because Jesus died and came back. Because without that, we could never be in fellowship with God. We could never live up to that standard that is set, that Jesus did live up to, that, that his life was given in place of ours. Do you understand that, that when, when Jesus paid the price for us, that our lives were exchanged? When God looks at us, he sees Jesus, who was perfect. And Jesus took our place and paid, you know, when Jesus went and then paid that price, God saw us and not Jesus, and the price was paid in him. And I thank God that, that we can go to God now with a clean conscience, knowing that our debt has been paid. Then in Hebrews 10, 19 through 25, it says, Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veal, that is, his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. 
Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more that as you see the day drawing near. I don't have too much longer, guys. Sorry, I'm going a little long, but I think this stuff's important to go through. You know, the this here saying that we can have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, and I've, I've talked about it before. But the the high priest in the and the, the Old Testament once a year would go into the holy of holies. And he had to go through this ritual and put blood on his ear and his feet and do these sacrifices and this whole big thing. And if he went into the Holy of Holies without doing everything perfectly correct, that he, did, he wasn't made perfectly clean for that moment, he would die. You, he couldn't be in the presence of... Matter of fact, they tied a huge rope around his waist so just in case he died, they could drag him out instead of having to go in after him because then that person would just die. So, but we can go in with confidence knowing that, the, by the, that, that we are clean. There's nothing that we have to do. We can't, Jesus can't mess that up. It's been done. It was perfect. And we can go in with confidence to God, knowing that that's been paid for. And, uh, you know, when Jesus died, you remember the veil was torn. The veil, which was as thick as a man's hand, was ripped in two. Ripped asunder. I like that word. You know, it was torn. Because that, that's no longer in between us and God. We can enter freely because the price has been paid. And then we go on here and it says that uh, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. You know, as I talked to earlier, that that's all we have to do is continue believing. Hold fast to the confession of our faith. Hold fast to the hope that Jesus paid the price for us. And that's all we have to do to, to get in. But how many know that, that uh, it's written there because you can let go of it? You can let go of that faith. But I thank God that God has made it so easy to trust Him. That that's all we have to do to continue on in the faith. And then it says that, uh, that we can do so because He who promised is faithful. You know, I thank God that we're putting our faith in somebody that, that is never going to let us down. I mean, if you guys ever had to put your faith in me to get into heaven, chances are, well, chances are really, really good that I'm going to let you down at some time. You know, and I thank God that you don't have to put your faith in me because if you did, you would, you would have moments of doubt. But we can put our faith in God knowing that there is no, that we don't have to have moments of doubt. We can have a confidence that we are saved. And then it says, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. I was reading this and I'm, you know, I never noticed that before. I've, I've read through the book of First Peter. It's one of my favorite, First Peter, the, the Peters are are uh, some of my favorite books in the Bible. If you look at my Bible, it's just highlighted like crazy. I've actually had to start doing it in reverse and unhighlighting stuff that I think is important. <clears throat> but uh, the, the truth is that uh, says that let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. You know, how often do you do that in your life? Encouraging other people to, to live a godly life and to do great works. I mean, Peter is saying, hey, this is how we should live our lives, continuing to encourage one another, continue to, or I'm sorry, this is Paul speaking. Paul was saying we need to continue to uh, encourage one another and, and, and stimulate each other to good works. And when someone's doing something great, you pat them on the shoulder and you don't have bad thoughts to them. You don't uh, get jealous of them. You don't do any of these things. But we should be concerned with one another. And then he goes on to say that uh, we should not forsake our own assembling together as the habit of some. I mean, you know, church is important. Getting together with other people at church. Now, the truth is that if, if you don't go to church and you trust God and you believe, and you, you'll, you're still saved. You don't have to go to church to be saved. But 
if you don't go to church, the chances of you staying that way aren't very good because you'll begin to fall away. You'll begin to slip away. You'll begin to, to uh, not hold fast to that confession of your hope. It's like a, the, I think I've said it before, but it's like a, the coal in the fire, that if you have a coal in a fire, it burns brightly as long as it's in that fire. But if you take that single coal and set it off to the side, how many of that coal will burn out very, very quickly? And the same thing with believers. If we're, if we're in the fire, if we're in it with one another, we begin to encourage each other and stimulate each other to good works. And, and we, we pray together and we study together, then our fires will continue to burn bright. And that's why Paul is saying, let us not forsake our own assembling together. Coming together is important. And it says, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. It gets more important every day to stay together as the end draws near. And then we're going to finish up with the last few scriptures of, uh, of uh, Peter. It says in 1 Peter 1, 22 through 23, it says, Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. You ever you notice the stuff that Paul says often is always in line with what Peter says? It says, Have a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart, for you have been born again, not of a seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, to the living and enduring word of God. You know, it says, we have purified, it says, uh, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls. It says, we have purified ourselves by hearing the word and doing it. That's obedience to the truth. You hear the word, which is that God died for your sins and that we would, that we would confess Christ with our mouth and believe with our hearts. That's being obedient to the word. And that's purified us. And if we want to live a pure, a pure life, we have to be purified. You know, you, can live a, you can't live a pure life on the outside if your inside is tainted. How many of you have ever uh, taken a glass out of the dishwasher and you pour something to drink in it and you start drinking? By the time you get to the end, you realize it wasn't clean on the inside. <laughs> Even though it was clean on the outside, it wasn't clean on the inside. And now you got a nasty drink. But you drank it all, so it's too late. You ever been there? <laughs> Not me. I can't believe you guys. <laughs> Um, but the same thing is if you're dirty on the inside you can't be clean on the outside but thank, I thank God that, that, that the, the problem that we had wasn't band-aided God didn't just wash the outside of us so that we looked good but he washed the inside of us so that we really were good in him Amen. and then it says that uh, <clears throat> that we should have a sincere love of the brethren, which if you notice that because we've been made clean, we can actually have that sincere love of the brethren. Have you ever noticed in the world when people are looking at other people that they're constantly jealous of what somebody else has? Very, very often they're not happy for somebody because they, they want what they have. But because we've been changed on the inside, we can actually have a sincere love of the brethren that's actually a, a more accurately translated as a, uh, an unhypocritical or without hypocrisy. You know, we can have a, a true love for our brethren, our fellow brothers, and we can be excited when they're successful and, and instead of being jealous. And, you know, God gives us that ability to love in, in that manner, to love like him. We can love without, just, love without jealousy or evil thoughts or motives because of what he's done inside of us. And once again, we are reminded that we have been born again. We are made brand new, but even more so, he's pointed out that it's a seed which is, that is a seed which is um, imperishable. We are born again of a seed that it can't be corrupted. That we are, that is just amazing to me. That's what we can put our faith and hope in, knowing that what we have is pure and true and can never be taken away. 
an incorruptible seed. We were made new without, blem without blemish. Our symptom was not treated, but the problem, the internal problem was treated. Amen. And the last scripture we're going to look at is 1 Peter 1, 24 through 25. And it says, For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which is preached to you. You know, our hope is in something that is everlasting. You know, the Bible says in the beginning, the word was God, and the word was with God, and the word was made flesh. From the beginning of time, the word has been... And that's what we put our faith in. Something that never ends, never disappears, never fades. That, that word is what is preached to us. And that's what our hope and faith is in. You know, our bodies, our, our meat tents, our skin bags, they're going to they're gonna disappear one day. They're, gonna, they're, they're gone. But our hope, our salvation, our eternal life is secured forever by the... By the, the uh, the word that is preached to us that endures forever. It lasts forever and never fades. And that's what our hope and trust is in. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and... Uh